Thank God it's Friday. You're listening to TJF, the horror movie podcast that brings you all the casual conversations about your favourite or not-so-favourite horror movies with me, your host, Kat. This week I am joined by writer, director, and YouTube content creator at CZ's World, Zachary Morris. Welcome to the show. Yes, and thank you for uh, restraining yourself not to say CZ's World. <laughs> I can well, see I'm not going to say it properly. I can see just the strain in your face right when you introduced me. Like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> Because I think like you're the only country who says Z, but it makes sense with the accent. So, yeah, and I didn't even know about it. Like just living here my whole life, uh, I I didn't know about it until like some kids started doing reaction videos um, to my videos, and I would just click on them, and they would be saying CZs, and I'm like, what? Why are why are they saying that? And then I looked it up. <laughs> you're like, oh. Although I think in schools now, uh, kids are saying the alphabet with Z on the end here. Mm-hmm. Because it, I don't know, Z is like a whole, that's two syllables almost. So. Right. Just for one letter. Oh, anyway, I could, accents are funny. Mm-hmm. So you um, just introducing uh, your own podcast right there reminded me um, that it was inspired from Ice Nine Kills, which I think we talked about uh, a little yeah. bit when we first touched base. Um, oh. But I'm definitely uh, also a fan of Ice Nine Kills. I'm obsessed. Every Friday, that album, uh, Silver Screen, is on my Spotify every morning on my way to work, without a doubt. Um, are you a fan of their stuff before then as well? Um, I've slowly started listening to it, um, but because I'm just so obsessed with every song on that album, it's so hard to go to another album because I just right. am so into that. And I'm just like, I know their other stuff's really good. <laughs> And I really yeah. should. I haven't I haven't kept up with music as much um like in the last couple of years, but I know uh just like talking to other people that that one has gone like really um I don't want to say mainstream but maybe mainstream. Yeah. I think um, more people are knowing that the album exists and that Ice Nine Kills exists. Yeah. So it's like cool. But I yeah, want that one was know. kind of uh, like a dream come true. Um because I was a fan of the band, like going into um, the album they did before that, Every Trick in the Book. And then yeah, it's I like, like oh, that album. they're, they're uh, incorporating like uh, horror novels and stuff. And then it's like, oh, they're incorporating horror movies. Like, <laughs> this is this is perfect. This is the sweet spot. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see if they, um, if they try to keep um, horror as a part of their next album or yeah. if they've kind of milked it for all that it's worth now. <laughs> I think because they've done all the classics on that album, like mm. we have Friday 13th, Halloween, um, American Werewolf in London, like all, Jaws, all of the really yeah. freaking awesome blockbuster movies that as a horror lover we, we love and know. Mm-hmm. So it'd be really interesting if they do something off more like the last 20 years of horror. Right. Well, they, um, did, um, they did Saw, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, that might be the most recent one that they've done. Um, or maybe not, they've done books in uh, in the previous album and movies in this most recent one. Maybe they'll branch out to horror games now. Oh, that'd be cool. Because uh, Spencer loves horror. And I, I mm-hmm. love his Instagram because he's always like posting all this cool stuff he does. And yeah, it definitely seems like they've made it a part of their uh, their whole branding now. So it might be difficult to move away from. Yeah, do something else. <laughs> mm. I love but um... their early stuff is really good too. Like uh, the burning, 
uh, yeah, I think sure is what initially that. got me hooked. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm blanking on the name of the second album, but I really like that one as well. So they've got know. a good, solid discography. Oh yeah, I actually saw them a couple of years ago at a music festival, and I'd only mm-hmm. just so this would have been end of 2019 when this music festival was on, and so I'd only just started listening to their music, and it was the coolest thing. Like Spencer came dressed out as Freddie, and like um, murdered someone on stage, and it was mm-hmm. just this insane performance. And my my best friend was with me, and she's never listened to their stuff, and she was just like, "This is nuts! What the hell?" Yeah, I think the last time that I saw them was at that final Warp tour, um, and I actually ended up being in um, New York. Um, so I got to—I think they were not at the California dates uh, that I went to, um, but I ended up being in New York at that time. So I went, and Spencer was like going to a wedding or something, so he wasn't there for that performance. It's like, oh no, this was. Wait, I would later find Uh-oh. out that was my last chance to see them oh, for quite no. a while. Well, hopefully they're touring soon. I mean, things are looking up for for you guys, and mm-hmm. it's the same thing here. I'm just hoping that international borders open soon, so I can not like I, I love Australian music, and it's so amazing because um, mm-hmm. our a big pendulum are... fan. Oh, you're a pendulum. I love pendulum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't. I saw them. I would have been maybe like 2021 when I saw them last so 10 years ago (laughs) yeah I've I've always wanted to see them and I've always heard this stuff like oh like you have to see them live they're such an amazing live band and then they went away and broke up and it was all like knife party and pendulum trinity and it's like I really want to see the live band and I can't and then now they're back together and there's a pandemic and I still can't see them (laughs) one day no winning (laughs) no winning I, I saw them at a music festival because they used to headline heaps of music festivals here all the time. They were mm-hmm. massive here. And, yeah, God, that's a name I haven't heard in a really long time. Yeah. Yeah, they put out some, cool. um, uh, a couple of singles in the last year. So oh, okay. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's leading towards a new album, hopefully. Yeah, because I think the last tour that I heard they were on was with uh, Prodigy. Oh man, that's a <laughs> that's a perfect lineup. Yeah, and I was gonna go. I did get to see the Prodigy once. Um, they were actually at Riot Fest in Chicago, and I happened to oh, be there so at the time as well. So I would kill to go to Riot Fest. Yeah. I would kill because um, yeah, every time I die, I play like nearly every year, and I was like, I, I, I just love every time I die. I need to go. That particular Riot Fest was insane because they had a System of a Down headlining, and uh, like System of a Down is my favorite band, but oh, awesome. they were a little bit too big for Riot Fest, and it was in it's in Chicago, obviously. Uh, it's in this place called Douglas Park, and it had just rained like the Ooh. weekend before that, so everything was just muddy, and there were people lining up like hours and hours before System went on. And when they finally went on, of course, everybody rushes forward. And then when that happened, everybody just started slipping in the mud and going down and people were getting trampled. And they actually had to stop playing a couple times during the set, like to fish people out and get them like to the ambulance and stuff. Yeah. Just like in the middle of a song, like halfway through BYOB, they'll be like, oh, hold on, hold on. I really don't feel comfortable playing when there's people dying right there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Wow. Because it rains a lot during summer here, mm-hmm. and that's when we have our music festivals. And they'll put um, actual, like, sheets of, I don't know, like, uh, non-slip flooring down. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's also because people just spill their drinks everywhere and empty their yeah. beer everywhere. And it kind of, and it's really like, I've, I've never known like a festival not to do that. So it's like, yeah, I've never seen that before, over. but it sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> Cause my, uh, my partner went and played um, South by So What, like So What mm. Fest. And he loved that. Cause um, heaps of my favorite bands played and a few of his favorite bands played. So was, yeah. But, Cause I'm really into like uh, more Southern stuff, like uh, the chariot, Maylene and the sons of disaster, um, Norma Jean, like that kind mm. of hardcore metal with Southern influences where they play in like seven, eighth timing and there's no real timing structure. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I find that like a lot of the metal that I'm interested in is um, just like I guess not just straight up metal. There's always some kind of um, cultural infusion with it. Yeah. Um, like with System of a Down, they they uh, bring in the elements of their Armenian heritage music yeah. and stuff like that. They're so special, System of a Down. Mm. They're, um, yeah, they're definitely a band I've been listening to since I was like maybe 13. <laughs> yeah. So going on 20 years. For me. <laughs> yeah. That's so crazy they've been around for that long. I love it. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... Uh, they were around until like 2005 and then um, yeah. they recently came back and played shows and stuff. Yeah. Cause I saw them only a few years ago. Oh, not a few, maybe mm. would have been like seven years ago, seven or eight was the last time I saw them. And they played a, we have a music festival here called Soundwave. And mm. that year was like system of a down slipknot bring me the horizon like all these yeah. intense like headliners they had like fallout boy and um i'm pretty sure they had cypress hill play that year mm-hmm. so it's like this yeah yeah that's a solid lineup it was insane oh, like the guys the guy went bankrupt from it and still owes like all these bands like millions of dollars yeah i know he owes slipknot like six million dollars wow well, and that's just dodgy people for you. <laughs> mm. But I'd love to get over there for a, um, well, I wish I, I was going to go to the last Warped. And I can't remember why I didn't go. Probably tickets a billion dollars to fly there. Um, yeah, but I'd I, love to go it to would Riot. not have been worth it for you to, uh, to fly to the States for that. Because it was very, like, dodgily put together that last year. Oh, wow. I think they kind of knew that, um, like, they didn't really have to hold up a reputation going forward and like, like, oh, security was very poor uh like the setup was very poor Ooh. yeah because i've had a few friends go over there to play sound, uh not sound waves, sorry walk tour um i have the worst short-term memory so i couldn't even tell you what bands were on there <laughs> like what friends bands were mm. but they were there they went and did it they've they've gone over because um we had friends, uh, like my, I know from my partner, they're in a band called Slaves, and I know they did a Warp tour, and their singer got kicked off, got the whole band kicked off the tour. So, oh, that sounds like an interesting story. Oh, it's Johnny Craig. That's, you can play, everyone can thank him, because he's a piece of shit. <laughs> I have, like, because I personally know him, like, I just have a lot of issues with him. Mm. Uh, anyway, I digress. Um... So you chose a rather interesting movie that I really, I really like this movie, but you chose mm. it because, um, uh, well, you, you explain why you chose uh, The Happening. <laughs> well, I thought it would be interesting to talk. I think most people come on and talk about like one of their favorite movies. Um, and I do like this movie. 
Uh, but I think a lot of the ones that are covered are ones that are generally accepted in, um, in, in mainstream culture. Um, and a lot of people like to hate on the happening. Yeah. Um, I actually, at one point I tried to just look up, um, like YouTube reviews to see if I could find something, um, of someone defending it and I couldn't even find anything, um, which is shocking to me. Now, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I don't think it's really even in the upper echelon of M. Night Shyamalan movies, Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's definitely something to it, and I do enjoy it. Um, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more. Like when I first saw it, I would have been probably early in high school. Um, and I, I've since realized um, that it does have a couple of flaws, a couple of um, cringier scenes. <laughs> but there's definitely like a lot to talk about with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's an an enjoyable concept as well. I really, I really enjoy it. I um, I find it uh, the ambiguity of the whole thing, and then mm. I did after I watched it because I watched it yesterday, and I've seen it a few times because I was nineteen when this film came out, so I actually went to the cinemas and saw it. And at the end, I was like, I think I get it, but obviously, you know, through our own climate change and our own. Um, different experiences of world disasters and whatnot, I've gotten a bigger mm-hmm. picture and gone, oh, we're the problem. <laughs> right. And, and I think that th- that this film really lends itself to so many different um, ways to interpret the message of the film. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, that's, I guess, one of the things that I like about it is I would rather talk... Um, I would rather watch a movie that... Um, like has a couple of scenes that are a little more on the cringy side, but has like a concept that you can talk about and you can unpack and go on about it for a long time than like a movie that's just very straightforward, follows a formula, doesn't really have any mistakes, but doesn't really bring a lot to the table. Yeah. And I think that it's really interesting because I'm a, I'm a really big fan of, of M. Night. And mm-hmm. for him to put out this imperfect film, I think that he just had so much faith in how he was trying to put out his own thoughts about what the film meant. And, you know, like Mark Wahlberg has absolutely criticised the shit out of this movie and has said, you know, I regret being in this film. And it's so funny because M. Night wrote it for Mark Wahlberg to be the lead. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, well, that's weird. <laughs> no. Well, and like we can we can talk about what some of the like where we think some of the ire for this movie comes from, and I think a lot of it just comes from the casting because yeah. you have Mark Wahlberg and, and Zoe Deschanel who are really I can't think of. I mean, I think Mark Wahlberg's done like a couple serious roles, but I think of him more in a comedy sense, and Zoe Deschanel definitely is more of a comedy actress. Yeah, um, and I think people just kind of had the wrong expectations going into it. I think they were hoping to laugh, like mm. it was going to be this kind of horror comedy where, in some aspects, you can laugh, but it's more you're laughing at the irony or you're laughing at, um, like, oh, I can't believe that happened, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think there are parts where the characters are kind of intentionally made to look foolish, like yeah. Um, the part where they're running from the wind and the part where he's talking to the tree. 
Yeah. Um, I do think that we are kind of supposed to laugh at that, but it also like we're laughing at it because it's, it's giving us this message of like, these, these are people that are under such distress that um, like, they don't really know what's going on. They don't know what the actual danger is. And yeah. like, this is how, this is how people might react in a situation like that. Yeah, Absolutely. So uh, we'll dive into the film, but before we get started, I'm just going to put a little bit of a content warning. This episode does involve discussion of suicide because that's essentially the entire concept of the happening. So we're going to do our best to hold these topics uh, and have these discussions with intention and sincerity. And if you can't join us for this episode, that's completely fine. You can join us when you're ready. Listener discretion is advised. Big listener discretion (laughs) for this film. Because that's the entire film. <laughs> Big flashing lights. <laughs> yeah, like, don't listen if you don't think you're up for it. <laughs> right. Please. <laughs> so The Happening is a 2008 science fiction psychological thriller film written, co-produced, and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, who you know from The Sixth Sense and Signs, and also Glass, which I absolutely love. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned um, that you're a Shyamalan fan. <laughs> yeah. I really am. Uh, it stars Mark Wahlberg, Zoe Deschanel, John, I can never say his last name, but I do love him, uh, Leguizama, and Betty Buckley. Um, the budget was $48 million and it hit uh, $163.4 million at box office. Not too bad. Yeah, uh, Not too bad. pretty successful movie for something that people claim that they'll never watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's now people people will claim they've never watched it, but they have. They just don't want to admit mm. they've watched it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in 2007, M. Night Shyamalan submitted a spec script entitled The Green Effect to various studios. None expressed any interest to purchase it. He basically went and collected all these ideas and notes from his meetings, returned home to Philadelphia and rewrote it. Finally, 20th Century Fox greenlit the project and it went ahead. So that's pretty pretty great century fox yeah that's another thing i wonder about um with the happening because just in the spectrum of his career um this was right before the last airbender and after earth and um i know i've heard stuff come out that um he didn't really have as much creative control um and this is i think something that's especially applicable to after earth which was kind of more of a will smith project than a Shyamalan project it seems like um, but I wonder if some of that was starting to happen with the happening, uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> it had its own happening. The, the studio was starting to, the studios were starting to implement their own notes. Yeah. Um, and I think that you can see in the scenes where it's a little bit more weak that there might have been studio intervention and being like, mm, no, nah, do this instead. And I hate it when, you know, you have these brilliant filmmakers like Shyamalan. And the studio is like, mm, no, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this. I'm definitely uh, not of the opinion that um, that like M Night totally just uh, went off the wall and and had like a bad stretch of his career and came back. But I will kind of agree that um, his earlier stuff is really good, yeah. uh, or at least like his earlier mainstream stuff, and then. Um, this this whole era from like uh, 2006, Lady in the Water to um, 2013, After Earth. Um, I still like all those movies, but they aren't as strong as the stuff that came before and the stuff that would come after. 
Yeah, so I'm I, in a way I kind of have the same opinion as the public, but also yeah. to a much lesser extent to where I still enjoy all these. Yeah, because I'm a huge fan of Unbreakable and um, and The Sixth Sense and Signs. Mm. The Sixth Sense is probably like one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, yeah, same here. It's so beautiful. And just the ending, like, no one can write a twist ending like Shyamalan. Look, to mm-hmm. be honest. Like, um, I I really enjoyed, what is that, the trio that they do with Glass Unbreakable and Split? What's it, is, does it have a name? Um, yeah, it's called the East Rail 177 Trilogy, because that's the that's right. name of the train that David Dunn got on. That's right, yeah. Unbreakable was such a good movie. Oh, everyone mm. needs to go and watch that, because I freaking love yeah. that I movie. mean, Unbreakable is, like, a perfect movie. Um, yeah. And, but Split is, like, almost kind of rivals Unbreakable for me, and it's <clears throat> it's hard for me to really say which one is my favorite yeah. out of the trilogy. Glass is definitely the weaker one out of them, I think, but... Yeah, I would agree, but not by a whole lot. No, it's just like when you have Unbreakable and Split, and then you have Glass, mm. you're just like, uh, uh, it's 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 awesome, but it's it's not Unbreakable or Split, <laughs> right? Yeah. And like people had theorized, like on M Night Shyamalan forums and stuff, about um, like doing a sequel and making Unbreakable into a trilogy for so many years, and then it just came totally out of surprise, and then it's like all of a sudden like glass is about to be here as well and like we i don't know for so long we just had so such high expectations as to like what this trilogy could be and then like split came and blew all those expectations away and really not a fair um position for glass to be in no <laughs> competition uh, split, with is actually, like, <laughs> split is actually one of my favorites movie going experiences okay. um because i saw it at the Los Angeles premiere, like whatever the first time they they showed it. It was at some festival. I don't remember what it was called. Um, But I knew that it was the new M. Night movie. I had seen the trailer at that point. um, And I really wasn't that impressed by the trailer for Split. Um, I was not like super excited going into it. Um, But obviously I was there with a bunch of other movie fans and people that were big M. Night fans that were just going to see it because it's M. Night. and like when that ending hits and like people there's just this moment where people start to realize that it's connected but the realization takes a couple of seconds yeah and like people like you could just feel the buzz in the theater building as people figure that out and for me i could hear um i recognized the music because at that um at that diner scene it shows or it, pl- it plays the music from unbreakable yeah but it took me like a few seconds to register like what is that from like i know i recognize that but what is it from and then it registered like right before it showed bruce willis i'm like oh uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> my dad actually brought unbreakable home from the like from blockbuster for us to watch because mm. unbreakable came out like considerably yeah, so I would have been 11 then. And I remember yeah. watching it because my dad's like, oh, it's an action movie. And I was like, okay, dad. But my it's so funny because my dad's not a horror fan at all, but he brought home The Sixth Sense because it had Bruce Willis in it. And then mm-hmm. he brought home Unbreakable because it has Bruce Willis in it. And now okay. that I'm older, I'm like, does my dad like M. Night Shyamalan films? Because <laughs> that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. But no, I don't know. Because my dad's not like a, um, he's not one of those, uh, movie buffs that 
follows directors or or whatnot. If right. he likes an actor, he'll try and watch as many of their films as possible. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think he's just a Bruce Willis fan, but then brought home all these like Shyamalan films, and I was like, yeah. oh, maybe does Dad know? I'm going to tell him. Uh, I've heard that they're working on another collaboration, but it's it's so mm. hard to take anything that you hear about like M Night's upcoming stuff too seriously because yeah we'll talk about something and then it'll go away for oh that's the other interesting thing about uh split not trying to get too sidetracked here um, <laughs> but so i follow m night on twitter and at some point um somebody asked him like hey are you working on um a sequel to unbreakable and he said yes i have the script sitting on my kitchen table actually and then that was like a few months before split got announced so he was kind of, wasn't lying, but he was kind of uh, misleading people, making it think like, okay, this might be the next thing that goes into production, not like the thing that we just shot. <laughs> yeah. And is is it related? Is it a sequel? Yeah. And it's just like, you don't really know until the ending. And you're like, oh my God, it is a sequel. Mm-hmm. But that scene in Glass when they all come together and I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it blew my mind. <laughs> just the opening in Glass, like where we finally see the Beast fighting against um, against Bruce Willis. It was just like yeah. so satisfying, so many years in the making. I just, oh my God. And James McAvoy in those films is just, mm-hmm. oh, he's something else. I just, yeah, um, yeah he, he, yeah, he, he really blew my mind in those films. Um, I've heard stories about like what it was like shooting those scenes and, how um, I think it was Samuel L. Jackson, actually, who said, like, I like to think of myself as a pretty good actor, but seeing uh, James McAvoy just go in there and be switching personalities and, like, having these conversations with himself, like, I can't even imagine how I would wrap my head around that. The places he must have gone to to be able to to do that to himself, like, because mm-hmm. it wouldn't just be mentally taxing, it'd be physically taxing as well, so... Yeah, and I think it had like a <laughs> some kind of lasting effect on him too because oh, there are yeah. in um there are parts in it chapter two where he sounds like he kind of brings out a little bit of the Hedwig voice. Oh no! <laughs> like I oh, think no, it stuck thanks. with him a little bit too much. <laughs> He's like, oh, now I'm Hedwig in it. Great. <laughs> yeah, you know what it is? It's the part where um. You know, in it chapter two, where I haven't watched it yet. Um, oh, you haven't? No, I only yeah, I um the first it with Tim Curry just really like did some did a number on me as a teenager, and so it took me forever to watch it with um with Bill Skarsgård because I yeah. watched so many behind the scenes and interviews before I even watched it, and I was like, no, Bill Bill Skarsgård's too scary for me. I can't deal with this. <laughs> like he terror well, he freaked me out. I don't know. I love both of the adaptations, but it's hard for me to really say like which one I think is scarier. Um, I was obviously younger when I saw the 1991 uh, with Tim Curry, so I'm kind of biased in that sense. But I still kind of think just objectively that that one might be a little bit scarier, just the way that it's like connected to the drains. I remember um, as a kid, like just I, w- I would go up... Um, into the bathroom by myself and I would be like, Oh, what if, what if Pennywise is standing in the shower oh, right no. there? Like it it kind of <laughs> hits on, on things that you would go through in your everyday life. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, is, is it going to come now? Is, is he coming yeah. now? <laughs> oh, in that picture, um, like when they're flipping through the picture book and you see, and he comes to life. The book oh comes yeah. To life. 
Like mm-hmm. whenever, when I was younger, whenever I would just be on the internet and I would see that picture come up somewhere, it was almost just like hard to look at because yeah. like, you know what happens. <laughs> and I don't even have, like, I don't have a, uh, I have like phobias, but it's nothing to do with like clowns or um, monsters or anything like that. But it's just the performance that these actors put into those things that are scary, that scare me. Like their convi- their conviction is like next level sometimes, and yeah, yeah. I always thought um, the fear of clowns was kind of ridiculous, and I never understood like why people found that scary until I saw the Tim Curry it. And you're like, oh, it's because of Tim Curry. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. scared of clowns because of Tim Curry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's dive into the happening. So the film opens in New York. I've never been to New York. So I'm, I've been to LA. That's about it. That's as far as my travels have taken me. Um, which, yeah, you know, small town me. When you go to New York, do you go left <laughs> or right? Um, what do you mean? Like on the map, do you do you go over California and go? Oh, like, when we fly across the U.S. or do you go the other way? Yeah, <laughs> no, we have we have. Well, you'd think we'd go the other way, but we don't. We, you have to fly into LA and then fly over again. Okay. Yeah, that's Why what I thought. Why would we just go actually. the other way? Doesn't make sense. Because um, they have to. Uh, they have to stop to refuel, right? I'm guessing so. Yeah. 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 But I'm we, guessing it has something to do with that. I'm not a pilot. Maybe I should have been one just so I can find out why. Yeah, it's a long trip. <laughs> I need to know. Well, it takes 14 hours to get to LA, and then if I want to go to New York, it's like 22 hours. Mm-hmm. Something ridiculous like that. That's why I just never leave Australia because it takes too long. <laughs> yeah. Get cabin fever on the flight. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we see a lot of people walking through Central Park. It looks like a normal day. Two friends sitting on a bench talking. I don't know what they're talking about. I know she's talking about her book or something like that. And um, some wind and trees rustle. <laughs> Everyone comes to a complete standstill. Now, when I first saw this, I was like, did did screen glitch? Are we just stopping here? Is this it? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait, no, no, no. It's all, it's all cool. It's not. It's not me. <laughs> um, and well, I think that's some- actually one of the things that I like about the movie. Um, just the fact that there isn't a traditional villain and it's all just kind of this paranoia about the trees and the wind and, the st- and stuff. Yeah. And they kind of set that up for us the whole time. So there's always like a tree rustling somewhere or we mm. can hear the wind and we're like, oh my God, something's going to happen now because we've associated that that wind movement, those leaves rustling with people killing themselves. <laughs> right. And I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot, but there's definitely like a huge Alfred Hitchcock inspiration, um, specifically the birds. Um I think signs and the happening have like the strongest Hitchcock connections um, yeah. as far as Shyamalan films go. But yeah, I mean, just the, the imagery of um, just the, the trees blowing in the wind and stuff in an ominous way um, reminds me a lot of just looking up and seeing like telephone wires and houses totally covered in birds and stuff. It's like not something that's really scary on its own, but it's scary in the context of what's happening. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, oh, I could look at that and it'd be fine, but you know that something bad is going to happen when when mm. those things, like you said, like in context. Yeah. 
and uh, going back to another um, another thing from my childhood when so I, I grew up in Chicago, obviously the Windy City, and I remember just going <laughs> on car trips after watching that movie and seeing the wind like the wind just blowing trees around in the background. Line the windows up. Line the windows up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so people are confused. They're repeating words, kind of like as if they're going into some kind of trance. Um, some people are walking backwards, which I think is just really, it's just creepy the way that mm. this is all happening. It's like, it, like you said, it wouldn't be creepy on its own, but we know obviously that something bad's going to happen. Yeah, I guess um, part of it is like we yeah. have an expectation for um, like how things are supposed to be. It's kind of the same idea as the uncanny valley effect. Like we know yeah. what a human is supposed to look like. And when we see something slightly off, then it comes off as creepy. And I think it's kind of the same way um, for like, that's why you see like a lot of abandoned locations in horror movies. Cause you're just not used to seeing like a high traffic location look like that. And I think that opening scene in the happening kind of plays on that same type of uneasiness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love, I love researching the uncanny valley. I find it really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, so there's, and, and it's true. Like those. Oh yeah. Those things definitely are creepy. <laughs> well, oh, I because I was when I was researching it because um, I used to do Twitch streams where I would talk about things like this, and um, I was looking at images of AI and robots that kind of move like a human, kind of look like people, and it actually made me feel sick. I was like, oh yuck, that's gross. And but that's what Have it's you heard meant of. To have you heard of this person does not exist.com? No. <laughs> oh no. Um, so it, it's literally just this image generator um, and it uses AI and it, it takes like existing photos and combines certain elements to show a bunch of pictures of just people that don't exist. It just oh, no. transforms people's faces okay, I'm a look lot of them up. look like you wouldn't even know a lot of them look like real people but then wow. every now and then the like the software messes up and you just get someone who's like horribly disfigured like they have three mouths on their uh forehead or something and you're like well obviously that person doesn't exist yeah every now and then when i'm bored i'll just like click through that and keep refreshing it until i get like some horrible uh cronenbergian grotesque person I'm going to be doing that next. Yeah, like when, when we get fun. off this call, I'm going to have a look because I'll send mm -hmm. it to my boyfriend and he'll be like, what are you sending me? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of cool for writing too, because um, I think like naturally when we write, we have kind of like a, a person that we know in mind um, yeah. as like what that person looks like. Um, but it's kind of cool to be like, okay, this is, this is like a totally non-existent person if I just look at them like creatively, what would, what would their personality be like? Yeah. Well, that's a good exercise. idea. Yeah. Rather than using someone, you know, <laughs> right. And then they read the book and they're like, well, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> this person sounds like it's me. I don't know what you're talking about. That's, I don't know awkward. What talking about. that's, yeah, that's a bit awkward. Uh, I love this scene because, um, one of the women on the bench is not confused, but the other one is repeating, um, like a sentence. And she's not making much sense. And she takes this giant metal hairpin out of her hair and just, like, stabs right into her, like, esophagus, I think. Like, it's really... She she gets a good spot. And I was just like, what? 
I forgot this happens. Yeah, I, I thought it was like a, um, like, you know how some women have chopsticks in their hair? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I assumed that it was something like that. I was just like, why are you, uh, where, what are you doing with that? Because I just had forgotten how this film opens because then it goes over to the construction scene and there's that mm. group of uh, builders all talking together about what they're going to do on the weekend and um, a body hits the ground like a couple of metres away from them and they all think it's this horrible accident. Um, yeah, so yeah. the construction scene, when it gets, like we, we kind of cut in in the middle of the conversation um, and so the guy says, uh, you have a girlfriend named Wendy too? Well, I saw your thing and it said W-I and I was like, wait, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm assuming by your reaction, you know what it means? No, I don't. I just okay, remember because so, he says something afterwards and he's like, welcome to something. Yeah. So I looked it up and it's actually like a joke that he's telling. So um, oh. it's it's about uh, two guys at a urinal and the they both have um, the word, the letters W-Y uh, tattooed on their penis. Oh, um, <laughs> Um, so the one guy says, um, oh, you have a girlfriend named Wendy too. And the other guy says, um, nah, man, mine says, welcome to Jamaica. Have a nice day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we only but get half no of that joke. In the movie. Like, yeah. We don't hear enough of the joke to where <laughs> we, we know what it means. It, <laughs> it still makes me laugh because of the way that they all laugh about the joke. And I'm yeah. like, I guess it's funny because they're all having a good laugh. Um, yeah. They definitely uh, find it a lot funnier than it actually is. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, oh, it's a penis joke now. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they freak out. They have they panic and they're they're calling um, uh, like a medic over. And this guy's body is really twisted up and broken. Like I can't imagine how somebody's body would look when it hits the ground. But I imagine now that it would be that. That that's now my. That's how bodies look when they hit the ground from high up. Um, And this, because then another body hits like a a metal roof behind them. Mm. Like I'm assuming it's like a protective roof. But when the camera looks up and you just see these people like running and jumping off the side of the building, um, that was terrifying. (laughs) I was just like, oh, that's I think that's like one of the trailer moments, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's kind of given us a little bit of an intro into what's happening. The happening is happening. Mm. (laughs) So we meet Elliot, who's played by Mark Wahlberg. He's a high school science teacher. Um, in their classroom, they're talking about the disappearance of bees, which I know during the time that this was filmed, there was lots of conversation and scientific and social conversation going on about what would happen if all the bees did disappear and basically that we would die without them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's around the time that that conversation really started to take off. Um, yeah, and it's kind of one yeah. of the more fascinating parts as far as um, like talking about what the what the movie is actually about, what the happening actually was, because um, like we're we're given all of these theories throughout the movie, and I feel like this kind of cements the fact that it is something environmental at least if we're not yeah. going to do anything like that yeah because he's asking the students you know what do you what reasons do you think that this happened and one of the students says it's a natural event um that we'll probably never understand or something along those lines right um, and i also think it's interesting that he's 
he's almost telling us um, like how to interpret the film. Um, like there's not just going to be one solid answer at the end of it. It's going to be all of these theories proposed by all these different students are kind of like all these theories that the, that film watchers might come up with and we can talk about them and talk about like what the merits are of all of them. But at the end, we may not ever fully understand it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is the message of the movie as well, that we just, nobody understands why this mm. event happened. But um, but it's cool because throughout the film, um, before we get into it, there's like all different um, like news reports that do come up where they're like, this happened, or maybe it's this that's happening, or maybe it's this that's happening. So little bits of information to make you think have been fed through these news reports, which I found very interesting in contrast to things that like Elliot is saying and what mm. other people are saying. Yeah, the hot dog guy. Yeah, the hot dog guy. <laughs> I, he's we'll, we'll get to the hot dog guy. <laughs> um, so the principal pulls all of the teachers out and they have a meeting. Uh, we also meet Elliot's best friend, Julian, who's a mathematics teacher who jokes about his mum and how he like just threw all these statistics at her and she just listened to him. Um, which I thought was cute because I was like, I do stuff like that sometimes. Not science things, but like big words and then people just don't ask any more questions. Yeah. I found it works really well. <laughs> um, so one of the teachers is uh, saying, you know, it's a terrorist attack. They're using a gas. These are the different signs of knowing you've been affected by this gas which mm. was the slurred speech, confused speech, um, and then injuring yourself. Well, killing yourself. Um, so we kind of also know, find out that Elliot and his wife Alma, who's played by Zoe Deschanel, are having some issues. Which I thought yeah, was so just think, weird to uh, have in the film. <laughs> I think actually that's um, kind of like one of the more conclusive things that we can say about it because um, I brought up the the birds comparison earlier and in the birds it's kind of the same thing where we aren't really given a concrete reason as to why the birds appear and start attacking people and yeah. in this um, it's it's this uh, viral particle type of thing um, but with the birds um, it, you kind of have like this this if I remember it correctly um, a new guy comes into their town. I think it's called Bodega Bay. And um, he's courting this woman. And all of the people in the town kind of see him as a threat and don't want him, um, like, corrupting this woman, essentially. Um, oh. And that's kind of, like, the the most, uh, I don't want to say concrete, but um, it kind of explains the the birds are, like, a symbol for the town, um, like, trying to protect her innocence and stuff. Um, and I see their relationship um, in the happening as kind of the same thing. Like they're um, going through these relationship issues. They have trust issues with each other. Um, and as this kind of reaches the peak is when this whole disaster starts to outbreak. Um, and yeah. then that final scene when they're talking and talking about like with the things that they like about their relationship and kind of, um, coming to terms with each other, it, it just randomly stops. So it seems like, yeah. it seems to me that they're okay. parallel. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never really thought mm. about it that way. Yeah. And I, when, as we go through it, we can kind of talk about um, like some of the different uh, things that happen with their relationship along the way that causes um, 
causes the contamination thing to spread. Yeah, yeah. Actually, now that you mention it, there's a few scenes that I can definitely, you know, pinpoint going, oh, mm. I remember during this time there was this happening and then this was the consequence. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay. So Alma's back at home um, watching the news there. The news is hypothesizing at this point. They're like, they know it's a natural chemical that's being released somewhere. Um, and Alma is getting phone calls from someone named Joey. And she seems pretty agitated and flustered and annoyed by the phone calls. Um, Elliot, Alma, and Julian are heading to Philadelphia on the train. This is where Julian's mother lives, and Julian's wife is going to meet them there because she's in Princeton, which I'm assuming is in Philadelphia or around that uh, area. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing somewhere around oh, there. Not sure. <laughs> um, one other note on the phone calls as well. Um, when she's on the phone uh, with that guy, she yeah. she's kind of like trying to get him to stop calling. And she says, I feel like I'm going to take a shower and see your silhouette on the shower curtain. And it seems kind of like um, an intentional psycho reference. I was about to say, yeah, psycho reference. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I heard that, I thought psycho. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping with the theme of uh, everything in this movie being very Hitchcock inspired. Yeah. And while she's also on the phone to Joey, this is um, where uh, people on the train are getting phone calls saying that the contamination has spread. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, no, it's hit Boston. It's hit Philadelphia. Like, it's everywhere now. Like, you, yeah. we've got to get away. Is this when she's still in the apartment or when they're on the train now? When they're on the train. Yeah, because they have, like, that argument um, uh, uh, right before they get on the train. Which yeah, um, like... train station, by the way, is the same train station that we see in Glass. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yes, uh, because uh, Mark Wahlberg told... Uh, his friend to like play it cool uh, around the wife and yeah. he makes some comment and then she's like oh you told him that we were having problems and it starts this huge fight and they don't sit together on the train and yeah. then that's where the infection starts to really spread to all these different areas and stuff yeah that's really interesting because it's like a distance between them then there's distance between the virus now going and the virus is well virus the contagion what whatever it is the toxins yeah. toxins are following right. them mm. so it's uh yeah now that yeah now that you've brought that up it's like oh my god it's yes it's making sense <laughs> right um so the movie cuts over to rittenhouse park in philadelphia um i i really like this scene i know it's you know for a movie that talks about suicide it's really hard to be like i like this scene but um, because we do see, I just like the way that they've cut it at leg, like um, leg length, is it leg height? <laughs> oh yeah. So this is the one, this is the scene where we see like the cop shoot himself and then the gun drops and then somebody yeah. walks up to it and shoots them. And it's just like this continuous chain. And I just thought that was um, a really interesting way to do it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, yeah, really, I do like that scene I in the way it's shot that. and stuff. Um, yeah. Like the way that the blood squirts out of the cop's head is so weird. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> and that's one of the things where it seems like um, something that they might have done another take of if the uh, if the situation was different, but maybe the studio is just kind of like, all right, we need to move on. 
Yeah. I do, I do, yeah. I mean, they could have, it was just interesting. Mm-hmm. Because um, throughout the film, we see some pretty brutal deaths and it's just, um, it's just interesting how they, everything's so, yeah, everything's just so different. And so it's just chaos. But mm. the thing is that the people aren't chaos. How we feel about it is chaotic. And we're just like, whoa, that's it. That's confronting. That's intense. But they're so calm about it. And that's the weird part. Yeah. That that's unsettling to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh you you would expect um you would expect people to be running in the streets and stuff, but everything is very everyone's very cool and collected. All right, I'm just gonna walk over here, pick up this gun and shoot myself. Yeah. And that just blow blows my mind. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's it. Not an analogy I'm gonna use again for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so their train basically stops dead in its tracks, pun intended, uh, on their way to Philadelphia. Uh, basically the, I like how Elliot is just entitled to go and like have this conversation with the people that are running the, like the train driver and everything. He just like walks over there, like they owe him something. I mean, they kind of dump him in the middle of nowhere. I would probably (laughs) want an explanation. I don't know. It's just weird. I actually found it strange that nobody else is like talking to them and trying to figure out what's going on. I don't know. I'm I'm like a I don't want to bother people kind of person. So I Mm. always find stuff like that really odd because I guess I wouldn't do that. I mean, uh, the the whole scenario is that they're um, they're suspending the service like in the middle of the of the uh, train ride like they're supposed to go further out to some other city yeah so they're in like a little town with yeah basically nothing really there yeah there's just like this one restaurant yeah they're in a diner because that's where they end um, up like a a greenhouse nearby (laughs) (laughs) because i oh is it so i love this scene as well because the deaths that they put in this are just so well planned Mm -hmm. and that's and i think they're meant to be intentionally confronting and just like oh shit this isn't your ordinary stuff this is meant to be really in your face and really brutal in a way because um a woman shows elliot and jess who is julian's daughter like that's the part i found a lot weirder than him talking to the train conductors and stuff is just the fact that like they're sitting there in this restaurant and this woman that he doesn't even know <laughs> just like, like, hey, look at this video. Um, like they know each other? <laughs> of somebody getting mauled by a tiger. Uh, that is not a video I would just show some some random sitting next to me. Mm-hmm. That's something I keep to myself. <laughs> Here, maybe please, they don't want to see that. Look at this horrific video on this uh, very obvious iPhone product placement. <laughs> oh, the product placement in this killed me. Mm-hmm. But also, um, oh, I was watching The Empty Man last night. I don't know if you've seen that. I have not. Uh, I fell asleep halfway through because I had to take antihistamines because I'm allergic to my new kitten. And so they just knocked me out. So I didn't see the whole thing. But it does some pretty shameless like product placement for JBL. And I was like, yeah. I see that. I see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we are confronted with this really horrific scene of a i don't know if he is the lion tamer or if he's just some random man who walked into the lion's enclosure 
Yeah, I think he was like one of the zoo employees. Okay, yeah, because I was like, how did he get in there? Um, he teases the lions and then they attack him and we see his arms, like he's got no arms. Um, well, um, maybe as far as how did he get in there, um, it's the same zoo that um, that the horde gets into and split. So obviously <laughs> they have some security <laughs> issues over there. <laughs> So they gotta they gotta deal with their shit over there. Yeah. Um so at this point everyone I don't I can't can't remember because I kind of got distracted, but everyone just gets up and leaves or they panic and leave. Um Yeah, there's uh, someone made an announcement. Um so, like someone got up in front of the restaurant and made an announcement that uh like the toxins had reached one of the nearby communities and That's right. but this wasn't happening like so so many miles to the west or something so oh that's right to, yeah uh, like 90 miles or something yeah yeah and so elliot alma julian and jess who is julian's daughter uh, are trying to get a lift out of there one couple mm. are like hell no you're not getting in here um julian's been I trying to get also in. like uh somewhere around that scene i think it's while they're in the restaurant there's like a news report for, of the cdc <laughs> recommending that people evacuate the area like they're evacuating new york city and evacuating the uh northeastern united states and it was weird watching that this time um just seeing like people complying with uh with the what the cdc tells them (laughs) without coming out with some it's a bit ironic isn't it (laughs) yeah kind of depressing actually i'm so sorry (laughs) seeing how easy it could have been (laughs) Maybe everyone should have just watched The Happening and been like, this is how you follow instructions. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Julian, who's been trying to get in contact with his wife, actually gets in a car with a bunch of people who are going to Princeton. Um, Jess, Alma, and Elliot get a lift with, he's the hot dog man, right? Hot dog guy, yeah. The hot dog guy. remember what it is. We don't even know their names. Yeah, he can be the hot dog guy. Um, so they're driving off towards their greenhouse because they say they've got to pick up some things. Oh, but, uh, we missed one of the best parts when, um, so, uh, Julian is with, is bringing his daughter, um, to try to get her to safety, but he sends her to go with, um, sorry, remind me of their names. (laughs) Elliot and Alma. (laughs) Elliot and Alma. Oh, oh yeah. And, uh, Alma, by the way, is, um the name of Hitchcock's wife, Alma Hitchcock. Oh, wow. I never knew that. Yeah. Um, so there's that part where he's like, okay, take my daughter. And then Elliot takes her hand and he's like, don't take her hand unless you mean it. <laughs> it's like, whoa. <laughs> Fucking relax. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also think that's kind of an interesting part for like the relationship story between Elliot and Alma. Um, yeah. Cause I, I think a lot of times um, it's like a trope that, a couple will like either get a pet or have a kid to try to like smooth over their relationship issues. And in this scenario, they're basically forced to take this child with them. Yeah. And they've got to work together to keep her safe. Mm-hmm. They don't really have a choice because she yeah. does call them, you know, uncle Elliot and Al- Aunt Alma. So like they have an important relationship with her already. And so yeah. it's kind of like, Oh, now we've got to keep her alive. <laughs> Yeah, it's Shit. like a new purpose in a way. Yeah. Um, I hate this scene because it's just so fucked up. Um, so Julian, scene. yeah, 
Yeah, that that was uh, one I was gonna bring up. I think that's like probably one of the creepiest images in the mm-hmm. movie. And it's very Shyamalan, the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Julian, who is in a jeep with um, there's like the car's full of people, and they're yeah, it's driving just like random people. Yeah, they're driving into Princeton, and as they are entering the streets, they've got um, it's kind of almost like an orchard the way that the trees are over and we see a lot of abandoned equipment like tree trimming equipment and like just lawn care equipment on the side and um one of the girls in the car starts screaming and what we see through the windscreen are like i don't even know like 10 people hanging from trees yeah it's just like ladders everywhere as if people had just come out and Hung themselves up on the tray. Yeah. It's oh, it's really confronting because I know that um, hanging yourself is very, you know, quite a common way for people to take their own lives. And so seeing that, it's just very like, oh wow, okay, that's. I'm glad we're talking about this on a podcast because I would never be allowed to show that on YouTube. No, <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Um, but I really do like the way that Julian, you know, is trying to keep her distracted and he's saying you know like i'll give you a mass problem i'll give you a mass problem and um you know she's obviously very distressed and it is a distressing scene yeah i mean if it was me that would stress me out even more <laughs> yeah i just feel like i just want to close my eyes and can you stop talking to me right now yeah <laughs> i just shh, shh. um so it's yeah it's just a really heartbreaking scene um and the part I like because Julian's like cover the windows because he realizes that, you know, it might have something to do with plants because he's been saying mm. it as well. Like, oh, mate, oh, no, no, he doesn't. I don't know if Elliot they know that it's plants, but they at least know that it's like a toxin in the air. It's there because there's people yeah. dead. Um, and I think and, that's kind of the part yeah. of the movie where we, we start getting thrown like all of these different theories. Um, like the hot dog guy introduces <laughs> the plant theory and then. Um, I think on the news or something, they talk about like the water contamination theory and then. Um, different people in the crowd talk about like, oh, it's actually a terrorist attack. So there's all these different possibilities being thrown at us. And there's like a little bit of evidence for everything, but there's nothing conclusive about it. Yeah. Which we can talk about at the end because I've like listed like Mm. all of the theories (laughs) below. And I'm like, which one is it? We don't know. You you literally don't know. We're just led to believe that it's the plants. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Uh, Julian fails to in, like close up this one little tear in the Jeep's roof and the car comes to like a rolling stop. And this is the scene that just, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> because. Yeah, like, yeah. you're kind of given the impression that like in a typical movie, um, this was going to be like a B storyline. Like we were going to cut between Elliot and Alma and yeah. Julian for the rest of the movie. And then Julian. No line just kind of ends very <laughs> yeah. abruptly i was like okay cool he's gonna go save his wife and then they're gonna meet up in philadelphia no because the mm. car just like takes off again and i really do like how they film it because they film it like side on yeah and the jeep just like speed like full speed into a tree ejects the driver mm-hmm. who is obviously dead and um julian gets out of the car sits in the middle of the street picks up a piece of glass from the windshield and slices his wrists. 
Yeah, and I think that scene is like especially memorable because it's really well done. Like you have not even that much earlier, like the uh, the policeman shooting himself, where you can clearly see like the blood being squirted out. But yeah. this scene is feels like very realistic, and you don't really yeah. question yeah the movie magic behind it at all. No, there's no movie magic for that for me. <laughs> well, there is. Like, I mean, oh. they didn't literally die making well, the movie. Well, that's not real. <laughs> I'm kind of glad it's movie magic. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I mean, as far as to, we know. Well, yeah, well, I hope not. Uh, we get to the greenhouse with the hot dog guy and his wife, who are really lovely. I find them really great. I think they're great. Um, yeah, they're fun. <laughs> and he's explaining, you know, that plants have defense mechanisms where they do use toxins to protect themselves against pests to kill them off. And that's like the most solid bit of science that I find in this part of the film where I'm like, oh, okay, plants are just killing people because they are protecting themselves. That makes sense. Right. And uh, he talks about like how they can, uh, how the plants can communicate with each other. Um, yeah. He's like, he's talking to the, uh, to the plants in his greenhouse saying he's like, saying oh, don't worry, I'll be back soon or whatever it is. <laughs> I was like, that'd be me saying goodbye to my devil's ivy. See yeah. you tomorrow, buddy. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Have a good night. <laughs> uh, so they're heading. Um, they've realized from the news reports that a lot of this is only happening in the northeast of the US. So they're heading towards the state lines to get out of there. Um, I like how the hot dog guy, um, uh, his, his wife just casually mentioned, like, oh, you've got binoculars in the back from when you were spying on the neighbors. And then that's never brought up again. <laughs> Just like it's totally it's like, normal. It's just in there to uh, <laughs> to make him look creepy and make him look like not trustworthy. Yeah, but really, he's just like the conspiracy dude that is like yeah. the neighbors are plotting, so I've got to watch them. <laughs> she just says that so casually. <laughs> and then I just loved that. I cracked up watching that because yeah. I was just like, "That's because Elliot Nama would have been like, what the fuck? What do you mean spying on the neighbors?'" Who are you? <laughs> um, so they pull aside because they think there's the, the dead animals on the road and they're kind of like, well, we don't want to drive through there because the dead animals are in the way. Um, so Elliot uses the binoculars that the hot dog guy uses to spy on his neighbors. And uh, he actually sees that there's bodies on the road. And then he says, is, why did these yeah. binoculars smell like hot dog juice? <laughs> did he really? No. Oh, because I was like, oh, that didn't explain. Because he's like, cause he, the hot dog guy talks about like what hot dogs are made of or something, doesn't he? Um, he has like a massive conversation. I, I remember that like his reasoning was that they're um, like they're easy and they last a long time or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a survivalist or something. Yeah. Yeah. They're funny. They're too, they're funny, those ones. And so they turn around, go back. And as they're heading towards whichever way they've, found on the map to go around because i realized it's 2008 and i was like why don't you have gps mm. why are you reading a map i think they did like if i remember correctly there was some gps at that time but it wasn't yeah. like where you could expect to have it in every car and it wasn't on phones yet yeah true i think now i've i just take things for granted like that right <laughs> i'm just like why wouldn't you I don't use know that how people drove before gps like um, I think it was starting to become um, widely used enough by the time I 
turned 16 and got my license. Like that's right when it was starting to be like, okay, everybody has it now. Yeah. But I would have been lost so many times. Like even with the oh. GPS, sometimes like I'll miss a turn and then it's got to like reroute me somewhere. Like oh I, I could not imagine. It's like being you've now got 10 minutes added to your trip. Navigating with paper maps. Oh, I can read a paper map because my dad is uh, ex-military. And so one yeah. thing he taught me was how to read a map and how like 24 hour time. Two things I got taught. I mean, I can read a map, but I wouldn't know like where I am on the map. <laughs> Oh yeah, true. <laughs> nice thing about GPS. Yeah, I'd need like a little pinpoint to be like, "You are here." Mm. Uh, so they run into a guy from the army who's very enthusiastic. He's very enthusiastically military. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's probably been stationed out there forever and never had any action. He's like, like people. I'm, I'm gonna save people. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, this is my moment. Um, yeah. And he tells him don't go back there because all the people on the base have killed themselves and they're in the barbed wire of the fence. Doesn't he have like a, like a Southern, uh, like Louisiana accent or something? Yeah. <laughs> like a twang. Yeah. He's, oh God. He, I, he's interesting in the five minutes that we know him. Yeah. And then all of the cars like start, converging at this like junction that they're in and they're like yeah don't go there because there's dead bodies all over the street there don't mm. go there because there's dead bodies everywhere there and they realize well let's get off the main roads yeah and... this is an interesting part for me because so it's spread to where it's basically all around them except for maybe like one little strand that they somehow make it through yeah because they um, but... I kind of wonder uh i i think that's right around the time where she admits that, um, like, she went to get dessert, or what is it, tiramisu? That's tiramisu, dessert, right? yeah. yeah. I say tiramisu, but okay. it's the same thing. Yeah, um, with, with, the, with the guy that was calling her. And then, um, so they're, like, he's hurt by that. And then that's when, like, this this thing kind of closes in around them. Because they've split into two groups at this point. Well, not split. It was an accidental split because one group just started moving ahead and the mm -hmm. other group were getting things out of their car and were slowly following behind. And um, that's when they're having that conversation about the tiramisu. And I was just like, that's so innocent. Like, <laughs> But she lied to him. So she's like, I feel bad because I said I was working, but I was really going to get dessert. Mm. and i was just like oh god why didn't you just say i was going to get dessert yeah i don't know because there's no inclination whatsoever given that she had any feelings for this guy right so i was like yeah it's it seems like uh she's just felt guilty about it like ever yeah. since and yeah. she's like all right we might die now i need to get I tell you <laughs> because after this bit he also tells her that he thinks that the girl at the pharmacy's hot <laughs> Right. Well, doesn't um, doesn't he end up? Doesn't she end up saying really? And he's like, no, not really. I just wanted, <laughs> yeah. to, I just wanted, wanted to get back at her. It's yeah. like, oh god. Yeah. So you can see that they have that kind of relationship where they don't, they haven't hurt each other in the past, and this mm -hmm. is kind of their first, like, not like a test kind of moment where it's just like how do we communicate about these situations yeah that's, that's kind of what it is to me is they it it's in the end it's kind of like a trivial dispute but 
the fact that they communicated about it so poorly is saying something about their relationship. I do think this scene is like, um, I mentioned that it's not perfect, uh, like going back and watching it now that I'm older. And I think this scene is kind of like the, the cringe part that I was talking about. Um, it doesn't last very long, but it is like very weird. <laughs> um, oh, the soldier? No, no. Uh, oh, so oh, their conversation. The, the wind scene where they're like, they see um, the other group. Um, I, oh yeah. the sol- They see the soldier um, like go crazy and starts yelling like, my um, firearms, so- my friend, and then yeah. he shoots himself. And I, I think we pretty much assume that that whole group goes down because yeah. we keep hearing gunshots. And yeah. they're like, oh, um, well, we need to stay ahead of the wind. And then, um, or no, they're they're asking Elliot what to do first. And then and he's, he's just, like, he's a scientist. Because <laughs> they're like, you're so a scientist, weird. you know. And it's just like, he yeah. doesn't necessarily, he's a science teacher, like doesn't mean he knows shit yeah well just the performance right there like he gets he gets so mad it's like someone came in and said like yeah you need to bring the level of your performance up yeah and he did and it just got weird yeah like don't do that (laughs) we don't need to do that (laughs) uh so elliot actually does mention something quite practical where he says I think we need to split up and be in smaller groups because he's noticed that the plants are possibly releasing the toxins to defend themselves against large groups of people Um, so they split up into smaller groups and they basically head off in all different directions so yeah Almond tells him about Joey and the tiramisu Mm -hmm. and um, you know the large group thing seems to be somewhat credible if Mm. you look back at it Um, yeah because it does start in large cities at, at parks and stuff. And then um, it does seem like the bigger groups are the ones that get hit once they split off into groups and stuff. Yeah. That the larger groups are the ones that are getting picked off and that the Mm. smaller groups seem to stay stay safe, even though they're in the same vicinity almost. Right. Which does come up just after this part. Um, So, Elliot, Alma, and Jess, along with two teenagers, Jared, and I don't know what the other guy's name is. Um, I love, this is a little bit of like comedic relief as well, because one of the teens, they look about 16 years old, and he's like, you've got to take responsibility in your relationship. And he's like, yeah, gee, thanks. You're like 12, Uh shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, but he's giving like pretty credible advice. Yeah, and she's standing like right there, like 10 feet away. (laughs) (laughs) But he's like, I don't need advice from teenagers. Get out of here. But I love that mm. they're also calling him Mr. Um, like whatever his last name is, you know, um, because they realize he's a teacher. Yeah. So they're calling him by his like teaching name. I was like, that's funny. <laughs> uh, they end up at a, like a development display home. And this is where Elliot is in the room and uh, a plant is moving like rustling a little bit and he's you know talking away to it and like defending himself only to realize that the plant is fake yeah so what do you think about this scene because it seems like a very specific choice that they've wandered into this model home in a model neighborhood type of thing yeah Um, but i i it's hard for me to say like what exactly that means I did read somewhere that um, these particular scenes are set up to look 
at the impact that mass hysteria has on people mm. and that hysteria like you know and paranoia eat away at an individual especially when it's at a mass level coming down to the individual and so this is just a scene that reflects how this mass hysteria impacts at an individual level to the fact like to the point where he's like talking to a house yeah the fact that's that, he's, that he's talking to the tray <laughs> yeah um, but I, I just mean like why why was this location chosen like it, it just seems sure. like they could have gone he, he they could have just wandered into a neighborhood that um everybody had ran out of but they made mm. the very specific choice to have them go into this model home and model home community the only thing i could really come up with was that this is kind of like the idealistic uh neighborhood of like um like uh it's it's uh family it's it's supposed to be like a family friendly neighborhood that's probably who i think it's called like crystal or uh clear hill community yeah clear view yeah so i wonder if that's kind of the movie telling us that um like this is what um elliot and alma's married life should look like and like if if they can sort out their problems then they're going to end up somewhere like here it could be um, this. they end up yes. fleeing that area obviously yeah because i don't know why they oh well there's no food there for starters <laughs> there's nothing mm, to yeah. eat there <laughs> mm. but yeah it is interesting that they chose that because it and the thing is like the film is a it, and I will explain, ex- elaborate at the end on this, is that it's a critique of, um, like, nationalism and um, middle American society. And so going into a display home looks at the um, potentially the, um, like, the fakeness that a lot of that can be and the image that it puts out but actually isn't. Yeah, there's kind of some gears turning in my head now, like, they are married, but they don't fully know each other yet. So their yeah. um, their relationship is kind of like a display home in a way. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. I'm glad we're talking this out. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to talk it out because you're just like, wow, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, um, and then as far as the tree thing, it seems like there's so many people that use that as like a critique point for not liking the movie, and. I watch that and I'm like, no, this is definitely supposed to be funny. Like this is definitely supposed to be pointing out that like this is just the fever pitch of, of Elliot's hysteria. Yeah. It's so much bigger than that. And people I think seem to cling onto the tree concept and be like, Oh, well, this is why it's an issue. And I don't like mm-hmm. the film and it's shit because why would trees ever do that? And it's like, that's not what this movie's about. <laughs> yeah. The movie is not about the plants. Let's move on from think bigger picture, bigger picture bigger picture let's go <laughs> um and this is probably one of my favorite death scenes in the film the it sounds, yeah it sounds yeah. so brutal and everyone's like why would that be your favorite death scene let me explain okay so elliot alma jess they're leaving and then they turn back to look at the display home that they've left and there's like a massive group joining up with another group And Elliot's like, oh, well, that's not going to end well. (laughs) And so they all, you know, freeze. And one man breaks away from the group, turns the lawnmower on, stands right in its path. Well, doesn't stand, lays down and has the entire lawnmower 
run over the top of him. Now, the reason I like this is because most viewers, and even myself as an audience member, expected just to cut away and it's kind of like a leave the rest up to the imagination. No, Shyamalan's not going to make, no, he wants you to see the whole entire thing. And so I think I just really appreciated the fact that he was like, no, I'm going to see, you need to see this in its absolute brutality and severity. I'm not yeah, cutting away. Awesome. You get to see it. And I was like, oh, because I, for me, like wood, chop, wood chopper scenes and lawnmower scenes just really <laughs> like, I'm just like, hell yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. chopped up. I don't know why. And uh, a lot of the deaths in the movie are very creative. Like I almost get mm. uh, kind of like Metalocalypse vibes. Where yeah. like, right, how many different ways can we tear somebody apart? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like practical as well. In a way, mm. it's just like, oh, that ma- well, it's there. That makes sense. Yeah, and I feel like it's not what you would usually see from Shyamalan. Like the, yeah. um, there's a little bit of gore in the sixth sense, but for the most part, it's this. The, the horror is very subtle. Yeah, this and is just very in your face. Really goes like all out. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like, you know what? I want to do a film with a lot of gore. Let's go. Mm. We're doing it this time, and I think I just really. Because yeah, like Shyamalan's films just don't really do that. Yeah, they're, they're about I think maybe for some people it kind of gives like B movie vibes in a way. Oh, um, I was like, I love uh, this. Yeah, A-plus. I mean that's not like a, a criticism for me. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no way. I, yeah. I really do like this movie. I yeah. just yeah, I thought it's it's kind of like um, what was another film that came out around the same time? Because um, I remember going to see this at the cinema. And I feel like Cloverfield came out around the same time. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I thought I so. Cloverfield. I, I don't mind it. I, mm-hmm. um, I just was never a found footage fan until recently. So now I need to go back and like rewatch all those films that I was yeah. like, oh, I don't like this. Because now I'm like, I really like found footage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, um, maybe not all of them, but. <laughs> oh, no, not all. No, I mean, I'm not going to watch it. I need to rewatch like, um, like Wreck and Hell House LC, LLC. And, um, yeah, Wreck is probably my favorite. Because that's quarantine, isn't it? It is, yeah, it's the yeah. original. Yeah, I really like that scared the crap out of me, that film. Mm. <laughs> um, so I'm just looking at 2008. We had The Strangers. Oh, um, that film, I still I haven't been able to rewatch that. <laughs> uh, the Ruins. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Dark Knight, obviously. It's a great movie. Fantastic oh, movie. that's when um, that's when quarantine came out. I guess that was only a year after oh, okay. the original. Yeah, I wasn't sure if like um, if it was Cloverfield or Quarantine because I remember seeing one of because the coloring is very similar. Mm. Like the co- it might have been even the same colorist, if anything. Yeah. <laughs> I actually haven't seen um, I haven't seen the remake because every time I want to watch it, I'm like, well, I'm just gonna watch Rack because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Rack got released here, so. But Quarantine got released at the cinemas here. Mm. So I remember seeing that. Interesting. So yeah, the guy gets chewed up by a lawnmower. Elliot just watches on. That'd be me. I'd be like, I gotta, this is like a train accident. And I have to watch. It's interesting how we're presented this idea that um, like social distancing can save them. Right? They should have just used this as an educational guide for COVID. Yeah. <laughs> This is how you save yourself. Yeah, I mean, it, it actually is pretty crazy, like, how many 
parallels there are. Yeah, definitely. Watching it last night, especially, you know, after the pandemic, I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. this feels familiar. <laughs> like the idea that it's airborne. Um, and then I-, I think to like early on in the pandemic, people didn't really know um, like what it was and what it and mm-hmm. how it spread yet. And what it meant and how yeah. to protect themselves. I think the first yeah. month here was just really haphazard and like, what the hell do we do? Yeah, I mean, I think back to like a year ago, like early 2020, and uh, like experts saying not to wear masks because we need to preserve them for the healthcare workers. Yeah. Which, like, I wonder if they would still say that, um, like, knowing what they know now, if they still would have said that at the beginning. But yeah. that's a different conversation, I guess. Oh, yeah. I think it'd totally be different. I just started buying fabric masks because I was like, um, I don't need a medical mask. I'm, mm-hmm. I can just, I wasn't really going anywhere anyway. There wasn't much yeah. to do. <laughs> so, what do you do? Right. Um, I love this next part of the film. Because it's so, like, what is, what is happening? Where, are you talking about the house or yes. like, as they're walking up to the house? Uh, what happens when they walk up to the house? Um, that's when he's talking to the kids again and they start asking, like, oh, you, uh, you got kids? And he's like, no. Uh, I don't know if he says anything, actually. Um, he says she wanted to wait. He doesn't she have kids. You got a problem? <laughs> <Which Yeah. laughs> These kids are so beyond their years. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, I don't know if the scripting was done with them in like teenagers in mind, but yeah. I think they completely missed the fact that they were teenagers talking about this kind of stuff. And there's just a lot of characters, it seems like, who like overstep the, yeah. their boundaries. <laughs> Well, Julian does at the start, where yeah. he is really dis- not dismissive, but a little bit mean towards Jess and mm. makes it obvious that he knows like something's going right. on. And, yeah. you know, like Elliot has to defend him and be like, well, I haven't told him anything. He just knows. Yeah. And it's just like, well, that's him overstepping his boundaries already. <laughs> and then, um, like, they ask him if he's got a problem. And he just, like, this is such a weird reaction, but he just looks down at his own crotch like, oh, wait, do I have a problem? He's like, Maybe I do. So he's like questioning yeah. his own fertility at this point, And it's just yeah. like, there's so much going on right now. These teenagers are weird. Like, I, I mm. like it because teenagers do have no filter. Like, I don't remember having a filter at 15. Yeah. And I feel like it does kind of fit in um, with the idea that we were talking about, like, these kids are coming up and basically directly confronting them about their relationship issues in a way, <laughs> in an awkwardly uh, forward way. Reminding them that they've got relationship issues and being like, hey, yeah. by the way, <laughs> scooting on in to remind you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so they, this house looks kind of abandoned because it's all boarded up, but we find there's actually people on the inside. Um they've basically refused to let them in. We're not giving you any food. Get out of here. The teenagers are quite aggressive about it. Oh yeah. They totally do a 180 right there. <laughs> it, like just snapped. And I was like, mm-hmm. Whoa, was not expecting that. And um, one of the people inside stick a gun out 
the out of like the lock like Jimmy door and shoots one of the teenagers in the chest and then we see another gun come from outside of a window shutter and shoots the second teenager in the head and I was like whoa that one is kind of a whoa um but that's also probably not my favorite part of the movie um i get what it's going for it's like um playing into that whole hysteria thing that like people people become so crazy that um other people become a danger as well uh yeah it's it's just very strange how um like they say they're not going to help that uh they're not going to help them out and then the kids are all of a sudden like about to uh, risk their lives like (laughs) um well we, we just want some food for this girl yeah, and it's just like, do you want food for the girl or do you just want to be an asshole? Yeah. Like, which one? Uh, what I do like about that scene, though, is um, there's, like, the tire swing in the yard and um, the the little girl wants to play in the tire swing and they're just, like, looking up and seeing the branch overhead starting to creak. Like, are they putting too much pressure on the branch? Is this going to cause the, the tree to gonna... release its toxins on that? Yeah, are they going to kill this girl for having a good yeah. time on the swing? <laughs> I, but like you said, yeah, this scene's definitely indicative of how hysteria can lead to other people willing to kill people to protect mm. themselves. Even though that those, you know, those teenagers weren't really a danger, there's still that unknown, um, an unknown danger if they were to help them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I found that really... And Elliot's response, he was so sad. And I was just like, oh... I get it. Yeah. He's a high school teacher. He's very like, I look after kids for a living. Seeing this is really confronting. I don't really understand the logic of the people in the house because like, they supposedly didn't want to let the toxins in by opening the door for them. Or maybe they just they just didn't want to be bothered or something. But like by by opening that slit to stick the gun out. You're letting the toxins they, in. Breaking the seal. Idiots. So yeah, there's definitely some weak points yeah. in that scene. <laughs> but it's overall just a very this is heading into like the peak of the oh, the There's also something really intensity. funny during that scene, even though oh, it's no. uh it kind of a dark moment. So when Jared gets shot, uh it shows it goes back to Elliot reacting and he's in slow motion, but his voice is like normal speed. Yeah. Uh, well it it doesn't come off as funny, but like normally when you see someone talking in or when you see slow motion and someone talks and it's like like it's always like there's no way that's not funny and i (laughs) found myself wondering like did he just want to show him in slow motion but he put his voice in normal speed so that it didn't come off as funny but it just made it even more funny (laughs) i don't like it doesn't i think it's not really funny unless you are thinking about it yeah when i watch the first time i didn't find that part funny but then like once i actually noticed that like he's in slow motion but his voice is normal then i was like oh that's kind of funny you're like oh that that looks and because his mouth doesn't move in slow-mo either so it's just like all of this isn't catching up with one another it's odd it would definitely be more unintentionally funny if he did put the voice in slow motion because like there's no other I'm pretty sure there's no other slow motion shots in the movie. I think that's the, that's definitely the only one. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to rewatch that scene. I'll probably laugh, though. 
Um, so they continue on their journey and come across an old house with no power. They pretty much think it's in like nobody in there, but they find there is an old woman, Mrs. Jones living there. She's had no contact with the outside world. She basically lives off the grid and has no idea that anything is going on in the world. Yeah. She's awesome. Uh, she's probably <laughs> my favorite character in the movie. She's a little bit off hinge, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think like, um, that part where, uh, they're in the house and like they're talking about her and then uh, Elliot goes out into the hallway and she's just standing there is like the scariest part in the movie. Oh, people are the scary parts in this movie. Yeah. Which uh, definitely holds up to be true, but yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah. Like the way, the way Betty Buckley does that character is amazing. Yeah. She's fantastic. Um, Mm. So that, it cuts away because we know that she's got no electricity, she hasn't got TV, but we as the audience do see a news report where a newscast is discussing the toxins. So uh, a scientist is suggesting that um, the number of attacks uh, and the severity of these attacks are kind of similar to um, kinds of natural toxins like an ocean algae that will basically have a um, like a time frame where it starts and it peaks and then it falls off very quickly they show some charts and stuff the science seems legit to me i don't know about you i was like yep checks out yeah i I think it's like another one of those things where um like it's they can definitely convince you that like this is what it is in that moment and then you hear something else and then you're like oh maybe it's actually that yeah it's i I was just like oh the science any movie that pre- like presents science, I'm like, yep, seems legit. Mm-hmm. Nice. Me as a non-scientist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not good. A social scientist, not an actual scientist, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> well, uh, that's actually uh, interesting that you say that because another, um, another thing that I was thinking about with uh, the character of Jess is that she kind of keeps to herself a lot and she's not very social. And it makes me think that this is kind of, um, it makes me think of other M. Night characters. And there are a lot of characters who have some kind of perceived weakness, but they're actually stronger because of it. Yeah. Um, like in, in the village, you have the, the main girl who's blind, but because of that, she's the only one who's brave enough to venture outside of the village. And um, like with um, in Unbreakable, you have... Um, uh, Samuel Jackson's character where he's uh, his his bones are very brittle. He has that disease uh, where he can easily be injured, but that caused him to become a thinker and he becomes like a genius. So that's definitely something that we see a lot in his work. Um, and we kind of see that with Jess as well, I think. Um, it's not like a, a physical or mental illness, but she's just not very um, adept at like expressing herself and, and communicating and stuff. Yeah. And cause Alma does say something to her at the start, like, Oh, I don't like to show my feelings either. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely an ongoing thing where Jess is very introverted, very quiet, reserved, but she has adapted to the situation very well. Mm-hmm. Like we even see kind of the contrast with the, with the teenagers, like it's kind of their, um, their tendency to 
take charge and speak up that gets them killed. Yeah, whereas Jess has been quiet and survived the entire time. Mm-hmm. Ah, survival skills. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they, they kind of have some fun with Mrs. Jones. I think they, they have a chat and have dinner with her and they offer them to sleep for the night. Um, the next morning, <laughs> well, this freak... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that she just freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say? Sorry. Um, like at the dinner, um, she starts off super friendly and she's like, oh, so who's chasing who? And then they're like weirdly quiet during that scene. I, I mm-hmm. guess they're like so traumatized of, of everything that they've seen. Um, but then when Jess goes to grab like uh, something off the dinner table, she like slaps her hand away. Um, yeah, she's very odd. And then, we see her acting like very strangely. Like she's obviously this woman that's been living off the grid and doesn't have uh, like a lot of um, social uh, experience lately. Yeah. Something I think we can both no social right interaction. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, we're lucky we're not all Mrs. Jones right now. <laughs> yeah. But I think it kind of goes further than that. Um, and I've, I found myself wondering like, oh, is she supposed to have bipolar because yeah, um, that's Some another kind of thing yeah um it, that's another thing we've seen a lot in Shyamalan's work is um is just uh kind of like a portrayal of mental illness yeah I'm not I'm not 100% sure that bipolar comes across the same way that Mrs. Jones interacts with them potentially like maybe DID the same way that they do with uh, James McAvoy's character in Split and mm. Glass. I'm not hundred percent sure, but she's definitely got something that is causing her to um, have some kind of dysregulation in her social mm. interactions with her emotions and her psyche. And that might yeah, be because she's, she's alone. She's like, she becomes extremely paranoid. Which is another symptom of bipolar too. Yeah. Mm. Because she's, um, yeah, she basically, the next morning when Elliot wakes up, Alma and Jess are outside the house somewhere. And Mrs. Jones is just standing in the room and then is yelling at him to tell them that they have to leave. And she doesn't really give an explanation. It's you just need to go. Well, I think she overhears them um, talk because they're kind of um, talking about getting out of there as well. Like um, Alma says, like, did you see her slap her hand away? Like we need to get out of here as soon as we can. And yeah. they're trying to keep their voices down. That she, so just not to, to say that in front of her to not be rude, but I think yeah. she kind of hears them whispering and doesn't know what they're whispering about. And then when she has that confrontation with him, uh, she says like, um, Oh, planning something, planning on stealing something, planning on killing yeah. me in my sleep. Yeah. I was just like, Oh wow. She's hyper paranoid. <laughs> Which is understandable if you've been alone for that long. You're not. She's obviously there because she doesn't trust anybody. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite clear. And so um, she just leaves and goes and stands out in the garden. And obviously Elliot is following her to be like, "Hey, wait a second, what's going on?" And she is reciting a prayer. I don't know if it's the Lord's prayer, or, but it is a prayer that I know. Um, oh, she's saying the Lord is my shepherd. That's right. And uh, she starts to walk backwards in the garden and there's trees blowing around and there's like a wind. And so Elliot's like slamming that door shut to keep it out because he knows that she's been um, 
you know, um, they're poisoned. Poisoned? Yeah. Um, and this scene is just, oh, it scared me a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just horrifying because Mrs. Jones is this little old lady who now is bashing her head against the wall of the house. Um, ugh. It's, uh. Yeah, now that we're going through this, like, there are so many death scenes that I really like and really, like, stood out to me. Thinking this back one on definitely. Them. Yeah. Because she smashes her head through the window. A couple, like, two windows, I think. Mm-hmm. And does she die on the second one? I can't remember how she actually dies. Yeah, I think, um, I, I don't remember exactly. I think we see her break the window and it's kind of... Uh, presume that she's she's bleeding and she died and then he's yeah. trying to get out of there because the seal is now broken to the outside and he's worried about the toxins yeah. which yeah that's also interesting because um like one of the more credible theories is that um it's affecting people who are grouping up too much like it's going for larger populations um and she's like the one exception where she's really just by herself but we've seen the size of populations that it attacks getting smaller and smaller. So we don't really know if it's just, if that theory was totally wrong or if it's now gotten smaller and smaller to the point where it will just take out one person. Yeah, exactly. Um, because he is using, cause they have like an underground railway communication thing. And he's talking to this, to Jess and Alma who are out in like a, it's called a spring house. So I'm guessing when it's too hot, they'd go out and sleep in in this house that's set up. Mm. I'm, I'm assuming that's what it's for. <laughs> um, and so they're chatting and he's like, it's, a, it's a infecting people on their own now. And there's this real touching moment where he's like, if I'm going to die, I want to die with you. And yeah. Um, just... So it's interesting because this is basically like the, the grand finale that we're at at this point. Yeah. Um, so they, this is kind of like the ultimate test of their relationship because um, the the whole trouble started when they were apart and, and she went to get dessert with this guy and um, like them being apart kind of started this rift between them. And now like they have this ultimate test um, where they have to make it through being apart. And then they're, they're talking through this, um, these sound tubes that connect the two houses and that's uh they express their their love for each other and they're talking about like the mood ring and um like when they first met what color is love and stuff like that it was really and then, nice <laughs> yeah they go out to meet each other and that's when it ends and they kind of they're just like let's throw away our differences and this argument means nothing because we're gonna die and we may as well be together and mm-hmm. so they think they're gonna die and they're willing to die together yeah. And to basically repair that rift. And that's them walking across this field to one another and being like, well, let's just fuck everything. Let's just die together. Yeah. And I imagine Jess at that time is thinking, like, how the hell did I get dragged into this? <laughs> She's like, fuck, I don't want to die. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> She's like, oh, great. So you're dragging me into your relationship issues now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's at this time that the wind just stops and that's Mm -hmm. it as soon as they come together everything stops and that goes back to you saying that this film is 
it follows this, you know, um, uh, unnavigated path between these two, this married couple. It is really unnavigated territory for them, like learning how to communicate and how to work through things together that they've never, you know, experienced or come across in their relationship. Right. Uh, parenting skills. Yeah. Um, and also like communication skills. Like I think one of the big problems that they had at the beginning was their failure to communicate and um, it's, they, they end up being um, distanced from each other in a house where all that they can do is communicate because of these, these pipes that connect the two houses. Yeah. They can't physically be in the same room together. So they have to verbally get everything out and air it and, and try and overcome whatever the issue is that they're having. Well, we know mm. what the issue is, but yeah, it's a really interesting metaphor, the entire film, because everyone's like, it's yeah, about the plants. Nice. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but it's I feel like the, the whole plants thing and like what actually causes it is also what makes it a fun movie to discuss. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Because um, we actually fast forward to three months later and there's this really lovely scene where Elliot is putting Jess on the bus to school and, you know, they hold hands and off the bus goes and mm. Alma's back at home doing a pregnancy test. And um, so I have a fun uh, things you missed oh, yeah? about that, uh, that scene. Um, so when they send Jess off to school, she's wearing an Avatar backpack, like from the Avatar cartoon and the bus picks her up, and the bus number is 2010. And um, M. Night's next movie would be The Last Airbender, which came out in 2010. 2010. That's, oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah, also, I didn't thought that was awesome. That movie, but don't tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a lot of people enjoyed that film, I think. I think it was yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Um, kind of that whole era is, is looked down upon from yeah. The Happening to the last airbender to after earth um i like the last airbender i haven't seen the show and it seems like a lot of people who are fans of the show don't like the movie um and it seems like people who hadn't seen the show do enjoy the movie I haven't so, seen the show. I, I just don't want to watch the show because I want to ruin the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I really like the movie, so I'm gonna not watch the show, and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. I've never watched the show. I just really wasn't into the movie that much. Yeah, not because of anything in particular, but just the entire them- thematic genre is not. And me. That's another <laughs> one, uh, like Unbreakable, where it seems like it was uh, very much left open to have a sequel. Um, so maybe one day we're, we're going to get a surprise sequel. <laughs> oh, you're going to see, uh, you're going to see Aang in a, if, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. You're going to see him like in a yeah. diner at the end of some other movie. <laughs> and there's a happening sequel and he's in the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That uh, would be the ultimate twist. Like we think we're getting one sequel and it's actually just a different franchise. <laughs> <laughs> People would be like, Oh no. Um, and I really like this scene because we see Alma and Elliot back together as a team and that, that it's like a cohesive relationship again mm-hmm. because she's waiting outside the house on the sidewalk for him to come back to say, you know, like I'm, we're having a baby. 
and you know we see we don't hear their conversation but we can see their like physical reaction to one another which is so such in contrast to the physical interactions we've seen between them for the entire film like they've Mm. been very hostile towards one another there's no holding hands there's no hugging there's no affection whatsoever between the two of them it's incredibly hostile it's um yeah and then we see this which is just a massive transformation for the two of them together yeah that's a great point it's nice because i was like oh they really don't like each other for the entire film i was just like oh like there's just so much tension like i don't don't look at me don't touch me kind of Mm -hmm. um body language between the two of them so to see them together as a team is just really nice yeah for once (laughs) And then it happens again. <laughs> yeah. So we hear there's a like a talk show going on talking about, you know, it's been three months since the happening. And yeah, they're talking... they opened up the schools too soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what you get for opening schools too soon. Yeah. Um, and they're talking about the red tide. And they actually talk about Australia, how apparently oh, yeah. there, there was like um, a bacteria here that came through and ate all the pests. And then there was like a... Um, a all this kind of stuff but then the news anchor is like yeah but if that's true wouldn't it be happening elsewhere not just in the northwestern parts of the united states and this is where it cuts over to um near it's called um jardin de louvre in paris france it's like a big park there and two guys are discussing their plans for that evening um one of the guys mentions that he's going to need to park his bike at home before he goes anywhere but then um, we hear, you know, leaves sweeping through the tiles or the concrete path behind them and a scream off in the distance. And one of the guys starts to repeat words that he is, like, talking about his bike, I need to something my bike, and everyone comes to a complete standstill. And this one guy, the one remaining person, just says, oh, my God, and the movie cuts out. And that's the end. So... Um, I do have a theory about um, how this actually may connect with another M. Night movie. Okay. Um, partially based on the fact that we see this happening again. Um, have you seen After Earth? Oh, not for a long time. And only okay. once. <laughs> yeah, so the, like, the main premise of After Earth is that the, um, like, the wildlife on Earth became so hostile and so dangerous that they had to move off to another planet um and then uh, i believe it is that they uh they have a crash landing and they have to go down to earth and it's totally changed like all of the animals or predators preying on humans now um and like there's supposedly like all of these um like poisonous plants and stuff so the dad has to guide his uh the dad is injured and he has to guide his son to find like this certain ship part that crash landed so that they can get to safety um so my theory is that the earth and after earth is like the earth from the happening many years after like the Mm. um happening was this nature fighting back against the overpopulation and um over industrialization by man and that was like the the plant's natural reaction to fight back. And that's something that's mentioned throughout the, as one of the theories throughout the happening. And after Earth is like, we're seeing the aftermath of that. We're seeing like how dangerous yeah. it really got for men to live on Earth. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. I'm going to have to watch After Earth again. 
it's it's mm. been so long since I've watched it. Okay. Yeah, and it, you know, it's not. It's that is my least favorite M Night movie is After Earth, um, yeah. but it's still not terrible. It's just like, it's a very simple, uh, like kind of father and son story. Yeah. Like he he goes from point A to point B, retrieves this thing and goes back. Yeah, like there's that. nothing very <laughs> offensive about it. Um, there's nothing like particularly poorly done, but uh, it's definitely just like the the least interesting out of his work. Yeah, especially when he's got such incredibly deep and purposeful movies, mm-hmm. and then there's ones that don't meet that standard, and you're like, is this a Shyamalan film? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Yeah, and, and really with that one, like a lot of people will say that it's really a Will Smith film. Yeah, that oh, he got yeah. Shyamalan to direct. Yeah, true. So, speculations about the ending. Or about the entire film. So I've written here, was it really the plants? No. I don't think so. Okay. What's your supporting argument? That it is... And I already did mention that it is the impact of mass hysteria on individuals. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about the dancing plague during the 15 or 1600s in France, where one woman started dancing in the streets and then eventually the entire town started dancing for like mm-hmm. a month on end or something. And how mass hysteria is basically um, a poison in its own right, where yeah. you can convince the next person that this is happening, then it's go- they're going to be infected. And then it mm-hmm. like has this ability to spread like a disease. Yeah. That's an interesting theory. And that's, um, I think that's one that's kind of hinted at, but not really explicitly stated in the movie. Yeah. Although the plants argument is quite solid. It, they mm-hmm. give us enough evidence throughout the entire film. There's there's wind, there's a breeze, there, there's, you know, scientists talking that it's a natural toxin in these people's bodies when they've had autopsy. But one of the scientists at the start also talks about how in the human brain, a chemical is released for us to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't that be released during mass hysteria as well? Um, Potentially. I'm not a neuroscientist, but yeah. <laughs> maybe there's something that gets released in our brain that's like, well, if I do this, then it's going to stop this from happening. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of similar to how hysteria works too. Yeah, I think it's kind of like the um, a, a similar effect. Like if you're standing near, if you're standing on like a, a tall building or a tall, a, a steep drop near a ledge, your brain kind of um, makes you very cautious as you go closer to the, the edge. Yeah. Um, so what are all of the theories that... Um, that they've come up with that. So I've, I've that mass remember. hysteria, the plants. Mass hysteria, the plant theory. Um, actual uh, terrorism. <laughs> right. Uh, a nuclear disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the last one? Oh, that's it. There was the ones. Uh, water contamination theory. Yes. The water contamination theory was there. And then at one point, uh, I think this was the um, the Australia thing that you brought up. The yeah, prim- the red tide. Uh, primordial bacteria theory. That's the one, yeah. And then um, the hot dog guy theory that he was behind everything. <laughs> <laughs> he released the bacteria. He engineered all of the plants. 
in that region. Um, well, he had his green house. Yeah. This is all a social experiment. It's the hot Just dog need to guy. Get more hot dogs. I have a question. What happened to the hot dog guy? Um, he was. I think he split off into one of the other groups when they were running through the field and trying to stay okay. ahead of the wind and stuff. See, if they gave us a side quest with him, I'd mm-hmm. want to see or that. Or just a spinoff, maybe. A, yeah, a spinoff. Of, it'd just be called a hot dog guy. Yeah. <laughs> I would watch or, that. Or like a, a prequel. <laughs> and we find out it's actually him who did everything. Yeah. Oh, that'd mess my shit up. <laughs> that'd mess me up so much. Mm. So what did you think about the overall message of the film? Um, I kind I tend to lean more towards the plant theory, um, <laughs> mainly because it, they kind of set it all up with the conversation in the classroom about the bees. Um, yeah. But I, I think the, like, while, while it is fun to go over all of the different theories and what it might be, the real takeaway is that it is something unexplainable, like as, as explained, as mentioned in the classroom scene. Um, and it's something that is meant to be discussed and there's, there's no tangible concrete answer to everything. Like as a a society man tries to, um, act like we, understand everything about nature and everything that happens in the world but really there's so much that we don't know and that's kind of like what makes this scary is um this this phenomenon that we had never seen before never anticipated just strikes yeah absolutely uh, not to get too real again but (laughs) (laughs) and and this film was you know released in the peak of when we were talking about climate action and the bees all disappearing and pollution and overpopulation so it, I think it is a, a very clear critique of those conversations as well. Yeah. because And they are important conversations, you know. It's, what, 13 years later since that film came out and we're still having those conversations, and mm-hmm. as we should, as we should yeah. be. But, you know, it still feels like we're in that same muddied waters of what do we do that we were in when this film came out. Another interesting detail about the ending is... Um, at the end, uh, Alma is in the bathroom, and that's like when we first see that she's pregnant. And there's all of these house plants in the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, let's be nice to plants, mm-hmm. <laughs> or they're fake. Either one. Yeah, right. I don't know if I'd ever um, be able to trust a plant again after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Seems there's the dangerous. fact that like things go back to normal and. Um, I, I think they kind of change their behavior towards plants throughout the movie, but then it happens again. Yeah. In France. Oh, that'd just bring, that'd cause some PTSD. <laughs> At least it wasn't wind. <laughs> it's Sunday here, so everyone's out on their motorbikes for their oh, little yeah. weekend rides. My neighborhood's mm-hmm. full of like um, people who like to go out on their luxury. Sunday afternoon drives. <laughs> Perfect for recording. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh, can you be quiet? Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. Great. So that is the 2008 The Happening, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. 
fantastic film. I, it deserves so much more credit than what people give it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll have to uh, do a things you missed video on that one in, a f- yeah. in the future. Even though I won't yeah, be able to show awesome. the thing soon. <laughs> yeah, don't show that. Yeah. You can talk about it though, can't you? Or uh, it depends who my uh, my YouTube reviewer is, <laughs> how good of a yeah. mood they're in. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you're like, maybe don't show that, mm-hmm. <laughs> please. <laughs> I have to uh, be careful how I choose my words. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, it'd be a hard one to discuss, for sure. Mm. Great. Um, so thank you for joining me. Where can listeners find you and your content? Um, you can go on YouTube and look up CZ's World, or maybe in your case, CZ's World, <laughs> um, or go to czsworld.com. All my stuff's on there. Yeah, and the videos are really informative. I actually watch them. I listen to them like while I'm at work because I'm just like all the fun facts that I learn. It's it's awesome. You you do fantastic work, and my grandma really likes the videos. So, <laughs> grandma's a big fan. Grandma's a big fan. <laughs> I should have brought her in, but she's actually getting ready to go out. Yeah, another motorbike. Love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. Wish I could afford to own a motorbike. <laughs> Anyway, thank you to my wonderful guests. Please check out and support Zachary in all the places mentioned. And thanks for listening to TGIF. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating, 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 rating and review to catch all the latest from me. I'm on Twitter at Catstead underscore for all the podcast related content. Follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at TGIF pod. You've been listening to TGIF. See you next Friday.